What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode. Today, I'm so stoked to have on Dave Allred. He had a 17-year career in the door-to-door industry and then transitioned to where he's at now with Axia Partners, where they're trending to have $200 million, uh, in assets under management by the end of the year. So Dave's just been somebody that I followed the last year or two and been very impressed with how intentional he is with his life. And I think that'll probably be your biggest takeaway from this podcast is the word intention. And Dave just nails that and he personifies that. So Dave, thanks for coming on. Hey, I'm grateful to be here. Super excited about it. Brand, the more I've gotten to know you, I feel like we have the same same values, same guiding principles in our lives and kind of the same mindset and how we approach things. So super Sweet. excited for this. Well, let, let's jump into it because I don't think I've ever heard your full story on the door-to-door side. 17 years, that's a beast. Like you think about athletes, the average athletes, couple years in the NBA, NFL, door-to-door is very similar. Yeah, right? well, I, it was supposed to be four months, right? <laughs> four months in <laughs> Chicago, sure. and that was it. Just come if, out for the summer. If the recruiter would have said, hey, man, 17 years, like, yeah. you want it? let's go. That would have been hard <laughs> not, to not a, to not a chance, right? But yeah. in hindsight, super grateful for it, right? So I come from a you know a very low-income family in, in Manti, Utah. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's going— Farming? Farming, agriculture. Um, my dad was actually a, a, a prison guard at the correctional facility down there. Sweet. and. You know, just, you know, we never talked about finances or business or any any of that. Um, And, but I always knew I wanted something more in my my own life, right? Like I want a quality of life. I want freedom. I want to travel a lot. And so, you know, as a teenager, I don't know exactly how, where I got the ambition from and the specific, you know, this, 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 this vision of my life of what I wanted later on. But yeah. I knew it was going to take a lot of sacrifice, you know, and I knew it was going to be a lot of work. And um, so I was going to Snow College, and they had a recruiting booth set up with some, you know, donuts. <laughs> I walked over, I started talking to the guy about it, and they offered me, uh, they gave me a flyer to come to a pizza meeting. Or, sorry, night, a recruiting probably. meeting, yeah, at, at, yeah. At, you know, at a pizza place that evening. So I'm like, hey, you know, I'm winning. I got a donut, I got pizza coming out this evening. This so college mentality. Yeah, just jumped into it, went to the recruiting meeting, and the guys showed up in there in, in a Hummer and, you know, the leather jackets and, you know, just, you know, all about the lifestyle. Wow. And, uh, yeah, next thing you know, I'm going out to Chicago. And, okay. uh, frankly speaking, it was, I knew it was going to be hard, right, going into it. But it was by far the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life to that point. And, you know, we, I sold one account my first week. It ended up being a 600 sub-credit score. And so I shouldn't even have sold in the first place. So they came back, you know, two weeks later ripped out the account, charged, you know, charged me back the $200 commission. I made my first week, wow. first month, six accounts. Um, so were you thinking it was a scam or did you no, believe in it? At no, that I point? think I just, uh, you know, going from Manti to, you know, the, the, the depths of Chicago was, I just felt uncomfortable. Um, Huge you know, cultural back, change. back then there was no real training. It was, yeah. you know, like a, Figured out. It, like a, it was literally like a, a three page training manual on how to overcome objections and yeah. like, you know, how to, how, what your door approach should be. So just, uh, you know, what was really hard though was, you know, the rest of the team was dropping off like flies, you know? So I got to the midpoint in the summer and we'd lost 80% of our team and I was sitting at, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 accounts, which for me, it was really disappointing. You know, I'd, I'd always been relatively successful whatever my mind to, to that point. And, you know, I, I remember very clearly because I literally thought about quitting every day. In fact, I would say hourly <laughs> every day at that point. And Battle. yeah. And, and, and one of the, the regional managers came out and he was talking about how, 
you know, anybody that sold 100 accounts would have an opportunity to become a sales manager the next year. And something clicked for me, man. I was like, you know, this could become a leadership opportunity where I can create value for a lot of other people. I can build something bigger than just myself, sure. you know, higher earning opportunity. And I just recommitted and doubled down. And, you know, luckily I was able to finish the summer very, very strong. Had a really good August. Finished with 120 funded accounts, you know. Wow. Which, for your first year. Yeah. That's yeah, insane. Yeah, it, was, it was a really strong finish. But back then the pay scales were pretty weak. I mean, I ended up making $31,000, which for me was life-changing. I was sure. actually so excited about that, man. Yeah. You know, it was more than my parents ever made, and it was, it was, it was incredible for me at that point in my life. And, uh, yeah, so came back the next year as a sales manager, ran the top uh, first-year team, um, next year top team, and then regional manager for four years. Uh, regional VP for several years, turned into a 15-year career with Vivint Smart Home. And then I put a lot of guys into Vivint Solar, a sister company, and they were crushing it and really thriving and the, mm. a really strong culture. So I had an opportunity to go out and help run the California market with uh, Vivint Solar, jumped on that. And then, but the whole time I was always, I always loved real estate. You know, I always really wanted this freedom, financial freedom. And I feel like real estate was the best way to do so. And so I was always taking that active income and putting it into passive income. Sure. And so in 2017, you know, I was making more on the real estate side. And so I, I retired officially and went full-time in real estate. Cool. Well, there, there's a lot to jump in there from that journey. I guess one of the first questions I have is, you said it was the hardest thing you've ever done. I feel like door-to-door is one of the hardest mental and emotional things. To where you stand right now, you have Axia. How do you compare the first summer as far as like a really difficult thing in your life? Is it still, do you think one of the hardest things you've done? Absolutely. It really was, you know, I think once you've done something repetitively, it becomes a lot easier. It's, it's similar to my my first real estate deal was just a small town home. And to this day, that was the most stressful, hardest real estate deal. deal. Yeah. And I've done, you know, $20 million plus deals now, but that first condo townhome, was hands down the most stressful experience, right? And I think it, it comes down to uh, either a lack of confidence or a lack of competence sometimes, and that just makes it more stressful and more challenging, right? But I look back at that decision to stay and not quit that first year, and Brandon, I'll just say, if, if I would have quit, like the trajectory of my life would be so different from today. And I'm so grateful for having the, whether that was the, courage or the tenacity or the you know the intentionality the vision whatever that looked like but to not quit because I I know my life would be dramatically different today you know not not just because of the you know the income opportunity from door-to-door sales but it's also the soft skills that we learn right the interpersonal communication the psychology you know salesmanship in general I mean that's the most valuable I would actually say the most valuable skill set is leadership followed closely by salesmanship and there's no better way to learn those than on the doors, you know. And, and, and also, I'd say the third most valuable skill set is becoming comfortable being uncomfortable, and that's very 100%. rare nowadays, right? 100%. People want instant gratification. The, the whole like, concept of delayed gratification is, is I mean, it's it's tough, man. You know, nowadays people want to see it now. They want the dopamine hit sure. now, and. Sure. So I'm trying to teach my kids that right now. It's is, a hard thing to teach. Yeah, to yeah. embrace delayed gratification. Um, yeah. But 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 I'm really grateful for that because you know those soft skills are so valuable, and you know it's it's also time management. It's it's it's, it's mental fortitude and 
So, and a lot of that's transferred over into uh, my career right now in real estate. You know, in real estate, you negotiating sales, interpersonal communication, all those things are very relevant. Yeah. In fact, all of my children, I've got four kids. Um, I expect them all to do at least one year of door to door sales. Same. Regardless of how, right? That's regardless rad. of how flu, yeah. you know if they need to or not. Totally. They will be doing a season of door to door sales because there's there's so many things that they'll learn from it. Right, doing hard things, delayed gratification. I also I think something that's underplayed. You you spoke about it a little bit, but when you sell accounts and even just knock doors, you're talking about thousands and tens of thousands of interactions where you learn how to, you learn salesmanship. You learn about expectations, what works, what doesn't work, different communication styles, listening. You learn all that. Where else can you learn that? Yeah. You're going to get tens of thousands of those transactions. And, and you're learning it real time. You're not listening to a podcast or a totally. book and be like, oh, hey, I should try that sometime. Yeah. It's literally, I'm going to read that book and I'm going to go out and do it that day. Totally. So the rubber meets the road. And for me, I learn the best when I'm actually uh, participating and doing what I'm what I'm learning. Yeah, right? same. So I bet a lot of people can relate to that. One of the things I'm curious on is just the grit and consistency of sticking with something because Vivint was the apex. Like that's where everybody looked for door to door was you guys. So with that probably comes a lot of other smaller companies trying to rip you guys from there, like probably sign on bonuses, offers, like come and be our, you could be a higher position at our company than what you're at there. And how did you stay put with one company and why did you stay put and not jump? Because as an outsider, not being in the space and me going and doing software, it seems like the names, the household names that people know in the door to door space are the top Vivint guys that just stayed put. Right, like you hear now, you know Dave Allreds, you know the Casey Boz, you know the Bodie Gardners, but I don't know if we would know their name if they would have bounced and gone somewhere else because they probably would have bounced and gone. You know what I mean? So how did you stay put? Great question. Um, and you're right. In, in the industry, it's very, very common. It's always you know the grass is greener over here. It's like shiny uh, object syndrome, right? People are always looking around, looking over the fence. For me, you know, I, there's a few things. One would be I just realized, hey, the found, you know, if I can build a foundation with a great company and then it's going to take time to go vertical and to build this out but if the foundation wasn't strong then i'm gonna have to go and rebuild anyways and so i i realized and i felt like you know vivant which was actually called apex back then right yeah had the best foundation the best leadership and just the best chances of building something with longevity and so that i planted my flag and i stuck with it and you know in hindsight i'm so grateful for that as well because you know, I was able to build more. I actually, you know, made more in the equity than I did in, in commissions and overrides in my, my 17 year career. Um, from the IPO? Yeah, from the, from, uh, from two IPOs over there. And, uh, we can dive into that if you want to a little more, but you know, just, 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 just really focusing on the, on the long, on, on the end game, because as a sales leader, when you recruit somebody, you're investing a lot of time and energy into their development and training them and teaching them. Right. Yeah. And if they see you as a leader, bouncing around or even looking at bouncing around you're teaching them and me the messaging is hey that's normal like that's par for the course and then you end up having to rebuild every year so for me it was putting my flag in this in, in you know planting my flag and saying this is what i'm going to be doing for a long time and i think that helped to be able to create more a culture of loyalty and you know i was really proud of you know winning the, the best rep retention award in the company three years in a row you know by retaining our people and i think a lot of that was 
you know, kind of a trickle down effect from kind of the way that I viewed, you know, my career and the opportunities. Um, and then I, I've got to give credit also though to, you know, Todd Peterson, the CEO founder, he was a phenomenal, uh, he was phenomenal at casting vision. I've yet to see a leader that was better at just casting vision. And I think that's a very valuable um, attribute of, of, of a great leader. And so every time you have lunch, every time you're, you spend time or you're flying somewhere, it's just talking about the vision of where we're going and how, you know, me and my people are an integral part of that, that growth and the future. Totally. And just to give everybody some context on what Dave's talking about and the longevity of everything is, I mean, Dave had 121 sales teams, right? Across 41 states. So we're not talking about running a couple sales teams here. We're talking about somebody that actually did it and scaled with it. You have to have loyalty to do that. And you guys put in 125,000 accounts. Just crazy. So, like I said, it's supposed to be four months in Chicago. <laughs> Somehow yeah. it turned into this 17 year career. Yeah. So, I'm curious on did you have, I'm, I know you had offers probably to go join other companies and other CEOs and other smaller companies trying to steal you away. Did you ever have any moments where you were really considering it? Um, so, I did have some pretty aggressive offers. I, a vehicle, you know, six figure signing bonuses. Um, Honestly, I don't, I don't ever remember being really, you know, really, really close to leaving. Um, I do love the expression that is, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave people. And so what I saw in the industry a lot was really when people are leaving, a lot of times it's more because they're disgruntled towards a person or there's a, or it's political or they have some issues with, uh, with the people or maybe even the culture. And so, you know, luckily, you know, and I think, I, I do think part of it is luck. You know, I was able to, you know, team up with a great company, you know, and, and not a lot of companies have made it very long and had a lot of longevity in the space. You know, if there was a, a cemetery with like yard signs of all the, the door sales companies that have, have, have gone through the years and haven't made it, totally. that'd, be a, that'd be a very, very uh, large cemetery. Right? I feel the same way with reps and leaders too that left and chased other things and you know, then they leave that and then they phase out. And did you see any peers that were maybe your level or bigger that left that kind of phased out? The majority of them. Wow. Honestly. And what was sad is a lot of times they'd leave and it, maybe it was a good year or a good signing bonus, right? But there wasn't the foundation or the structure there for them to build something meaningful. And usually they would, you know, end up coming back to Vivint with their you know, tail between their legs, you know, and trying to get back get momentum back but i think sure. you lose you know you call it the big a lot of big mo right yeah and when yeah. you have momentum it's a lot easier you have a, a tailwind right when you lose that momentum it can be really challenging mm. what about leadership leadership is such a big part of the journey and because i mean and this applies to anything if someone's building a, a big insurance sales team or it could be a real estate agent team or door-to-door whatever it is as you come in as an individual contributor you're a rep and you perfect your sales process, right? And if you're good at that, that may help you with leadership, but leadership is its own skill set. So maybe talk to me about your leadership journey, because that's the majority of your career, the 17 years was in a leadership role. Absolutely. You know, I, if it was just knocking doors, I mean, I, I would, uh, there's no way I would have been able totally. to stick with that, right? Totally. Like I said, even my first year when I was presented with a potential leadership opportunity, that really is what it got exciting for me. And you know, then looking forward the next couple of years, that was where I got the real fulfillment, right? The money was, was fun. It was awesome. But the leadership and the impact that we're making with other people, 
it was so rewarding. And frankly, even today, that's what I miss most about, I've been out of the door-to-door space for five years now. And what I miss the most is being able to be with like-minded individuals that are younger guys, that are ambitious, you know, they want big things in life, they're willing to pay the price for it, and to be able to create real value for them, right? And then to see that value, you know, in leadership, then trickle down or the ripple effect of them helping to create value for, you know, hundreds of other people, totally. you know, that's, I mean, that's so incredible. You know, for me, when I look back at my life, and I think a lot about kind of, you know, in, in intentionality, and at the end of my life, I want to have no regrets. And so... I've thought a lot about like, what, what does that mean to me is like, how will I feel like I lived my life fully and to my, 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 my potential. And to me, it's, it always comes down to at the end of the day, it's relationships, memories, and experiences, right? And the more value I can create for more people, that's impact. And I think that's how we're really going to measure our lives, you know, in a large part is how much impact for good did we make? And, you know, I hope I can personally, I'm, you know, my goals is to create, you know, value, direct value for 10 million people in my life. And I want to help at least 1,000 people become millionaires through real estate and uh, my family foundation. And, you know, a lot of other, that's another tangent right there. But, yeah, you know, it's really trying to create impact. I think leadership is the best way to do that. And totally. And frankly, leadership is, you know, it's it's not just in, in sales or anything else. It's it's your family. It's as a father, as a husband, as an entrepreneur, as a fund manager, you know, as a syndicator, as, you know, four or 500 investors working with me right now, yeah. it all comes down to leadership, man. Like leadership is, is everything. And that's why I said, in my opinion, it's the most valuable skill set. Yeah. Don't you think another really awesome asset to being in the space was just the network, right? Being around other people that are growing their wealth, they're investing. Like we were just in Boston. We're part of a mastermind that we were at the other week. And you look at the network there like-minded individuals that have done well that can invest in deals together. And I think gaining that network, being in that space for so long, I'm sure. Well, I know it's a big part of Axia now, right? Yeah. You know, one of my favorite expressions is power and proximity. And just being around other people that are doing bigger things than you are is really inspiring. I mean, here's an example. If you asked me when I was a teenager, you know, what's my definition of having made it? Like best case scenario in business. Yeah hundred grand a year, like like <laughs> maybe best case scenario if things That's line up so perfectly. Awesome. Right. Yeah. But then you, know, you hang out with guys like, you know, you're flying around private with, you know, Todd Peterson or all these, all these entrepreneurs and hanging out with billionaires. And you're just like, dude, I'm playing small, you know, and we can look at somebody in the white of their eyes and be like, okay, if this guy's doing it, like it can't be that hard. Right. And yeah. I'm really grateful for that time and that proximity because it completely revamped my, my, my mindset and helped me get rid of a lot of those limiting self-beliefs sure. that I had growing up in such a, you know, low Anti, income. Right. Yeah. You can get by on 30, 40 grand. No problem. No, you're, you're, you're living large yeah, <laughs> 30, living 40, at least back then. So, um, but you, I just want to say leadership is everything, man. Like, yeah, I, you know, I think everything. that, you know, I think that we all have opportunities to become better leaders daily. And so whether, you know, whatever your current career is, just make it a priority and a commitment that you're going to become a better version of, of yourself, a better leader. And, you know, I've learned a long time ago that, you know, I feel like we all have either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. mindset. Yeah. And it's such a powerful concept to understand, right? Most people live life with a, uh, you know, a fixed mindset and it's more of a scarcity mindset where it is what it is. I am where I am. You know, it's my parents' fault. It's my uh, you know, it's my skin color, it's my, it's my, it's my demographic, it's where I live, it's my zip Your code, education, education yeah. all of those factors, right? But at the end of the day, 
But to me, but that, but what that does is it makes so they don't take responsibility for where they are because it's not their fault, right? Yeah. Whereas the opposite is that, of that is a growth mindset. And to me, that's just such a, a better way of living life where everything is on my shoulders. My, where I'm at in my life is a, is a result of the decisions that I've made previously. And where I'm going to be in the future is simply a result of the decisions that I make from today forward. Sure. And, and, and frankly, you know, a lot of people are un, uh, it's, you know, it's un, it makes you uneasy sometimes to feel that because you're in the driver's seat. You can't blame anybody else. Yeah. But that's where personal growth comes from, right? When you understand that and because then, but, but, but it's so much more fun too, man, because then you literally are living life on your terms, right? And, and that's why I've loved the pursuit of financial freedom so much is because it's not just for the money or the zeros. It's really about time freedom, right? It's the ability to live life on my own terms to be doing what I want to be doing whenever I want to be doing it with people I want to be doing it with. And to me, that's, that's really living. Yeah. Let's t- one more thing I want to talk about in the door to door, your, your journey there was the IPO. There's a lot of companies, especially in this Valley that have IPO like Qualtrics or Domo or whatever. And so how did you view that process? Was it, were you scared at all? Cause you couldn't control it. Did you know it was going to be big? Did you doubt it? I mean, obviously stayed with it and you said you made more money from the IPO than what you made in commissions, which is incredible. But talk to me about that journey. <clears throat> um, so, you know, at that point in my career, it was, I didn't really fully understand private equity and, you know, IPOs and all that stuff, honestly, right? I'm a Manta, kid from Manta, yeah. just out knocking doors. And so yeah. um, it sounded really good. So um, you weren't relying on it a lot. You were just... Honestly, at the beginning, not really. Yeah. I'm like, this okay. is kind of above my pay level. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I mean, it sounds cool. You know, yeah. that the paper that what they've told us we could make from this sounds incredible, but who knows? Definitely feels like it's, hand, you know, golden handcuffs. Yeah. And so at the beginning, I didn't put a lot of stock into it. You know, I just went to work, but... You know, as things progressed, the company kept doing better and better. You know, because we had we had um, Goldman Sachs come in as our equity partner, which is one of the you know premier firms in the country. So that was it was pretty cool. But I didn't yeah. really know how it was going to benefit me directly. Um, you know, and it kept going and going, and it actually was supposed to be more of a shorter two to three year plan. It turned into I think it was an eight year plan. So it definitely got extended. You know, and that created a little bit of frustration oh, across sure the, the whole company. And I'm, I'm sure that's not an uncommon thing in any company in that process. I think you're right. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it was a really good retention tool because there was all this potential upside at the end of the rainbow. Um, but at the same time, it really didn't, um, I wouldn't say it, it, it really changed a lot of my daily behavior because I think what really helped me was just always focusing on helping my people. You know, if my people are winning and my teams are, are, are growing and they're making more and more every year, they're, getting not only self-development and progress, but they're also going to be around long-term because there's a real opportunity here and they're, they're growing, expanding. And so, um, so when I looked at that, it, 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 it was more, it, I think it was really good for my sales leaders as well because, so I was grateful for it because it helped me retain a lot of my key salespeople. And so I think, frankly, from a company perspective, it was one of the smartest things that the company ever did. Um, I don't think it drove my daily behavior decisions a lot. But it definitely kept us with eye, the eye on the ball and not looking maybe at other opportunities as much, yeah. especially for my, my key sales, my key employees. Sure. But I was really grateful how, how it played out, man. It was awesome. It sounded right? like an incredible to... outcome, which then kind of springboarded you into 
the lifestyle design and creating what you want. And I mean, we talk a lot about do what others are not willing to do today so that you can live how others can't later, right? And that was you. Walking away, like you said, you could retire. You're in an incredible position. And then, yeah, I'd love to know more about the lifestyle design. Cool. Yeah, that, that quote you just said there, I love it. I think, you know, Jerry Rice originally said it as, uh, I will do today what others won't, so tomorrow I can have what others can't, right? I love that, love man. It. You know, and uh, while we're talking about quotes, I got to share, going back to the previous question, my all-time favorite quote, all-time, is Zig Ziglar. And when he says, you can have everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Right? 100%. Such a powerful concept. And yeah. it kind of goes back to that delayed gratification, though, because a lot of times you don't see the immediate benefit. But I've just found, man, the more value you can create for other people, it's always going to reciprocate. And it's usually, you know, two to three fold. And, but it might take years, even decades down the road. Like, it's so fun for me to be able to run into, you know, some of the guys were my, my first office, you know, or my, my first sales managers and see where they're on. at in life. And, sure. and just like the appreciation that they have for, yeah. You know, those such doing such a hard thing together. You know, fifteen years ago. Yeah. And so, anyway, going back to the impact and stuff, that 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 ripple that's, effect is really huge. incredible. Like we t- you talked about fixed versus growth mindset, two totally different paradigms, right? And I know you've seen this being in the door to door space. And you could, if you're a sales leader in any company in any org, whether it's real estate, insurance, whatever, this is going to exist. There's leaders that think what am I going to get? And they're crunching the numbers. What are they going to make off the guys, whatever? And then there's leaders that think, how much value can I create? And they're constantly focused on value. And you know, like I've seen the leaders. I know you've probably worked with them. It sucks working with a leader that's like, what am I getting out of it? What are you doing for me? And they're just so focused on what they're getting versus the leader that's like, how much value can I create? I need to create more value. I need to create more opportunity. Like anybody wants to work with that person and it's hard to get someone to switch from that one paradigm to the other. It's really hard to have them switch. And for those guys that don't have that mindset, like the, you'll see it in, in the re, uh, reputation numbers are usually a lot lower. And people just pick up on that, you know. And they I can think, feel it, right? Yeah, the best leaders, you know, where you have really have raving fans, it's because they can tell that, that they they really care, authentically care about their success. And they'll do it. They'll go to war with them, right? They'll go to battle. And those are, it's a rare breed, in my opinion, yeah. of those, those type of leaders. But, but people see through that really quickly. There are a lot of people talk about creating value, about how they want to help, you know. But I think that you can pick up on that pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, you can really feel it in, yeah. in certain people. So, um, cool. So with your question on lifestyle design, yeah. what, what I, uh, this is really interesting. I'm really, pr- I'm really proud of this. Cool. Yeah, this is like, when I heard you talk about this, I'm like, we got to get you on. But I'm going to try to keep it high level because I know we okay. only have limited amount of time here. We could do yeah. an entire podcast on this, but you know, as I was, uh, um, you know, meeting with my teams across country, I would always sit down and do what's called a one-on-one performance interview. Okay. And it's just a process I came up with and it's sitting down and asking the individual how they're doing, you know, what their goals are, their cause, you know, how I can help create value for them, um, how they would define a successful summer, you know, what their, um, you know, next three to five year plan is. And uh, I was always shocked with how little um, guys knew what they really wanted. You know, I think they usually had a, a knee-jerk reaction like, yeah, you know, I want to get a new car. I want to, you know, pay for my student debt or I want to get an engagement. Grand or, or, eight, grand yeah. or whatever. Buy and then a new it kind of stops right there, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, cool. Like, what kind of a car do you want or what type of a home? What size? How many bedrooms? Like, you go into detail and it gets really fuzzy really fast, man. Like, yeah. guys don't really ever spend the time to think about what they really want in life. And 
you know, I often say that most Americans spend more time planning out their annual vacation than they do planning out their life, which is pretty wild to me. So true. That's a bomb right there. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, so I'm like, okay, so for me personally, if I'm going to continue to do this, I want to know exactly why I'm, why I'm doing this. And if I have that clarity and that purpose uh, and that intentionality, I'm going to be a, a better leader. And then also I can help my people do the same thing, my sales leaders, right? And and so I just sat down on a Sunday and I started writing out, you know, a game plan for my life and identified 10 areas I want to be great at. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's my family, my health, my time, my finances, business, you know, spiritual uh, experiences, relationships and memories. And so I just reverse engineered each one of those 10 categories with a lot of specificity and really going deep into each one of those. And so I wrote it all down. Um, and then every, you know, month since then, I spent an hour and a on a Sunday, and I'll just jump back into that and update it. So it's a living, evolving document. Sure. And but it's been pretty incredible. And I think what that does for me is it just allows me to operate with more purpose, with more clarity, um, to be a lot more aggressive in business, frankly, and in my investments because I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? If I'm going to make an investment. It's not just because I have FOMO or because my neighbors are doing it or because everybody thinks it's cool. It's because there's a purpose behind how that's going to help me fast track, you know, to the end game of what I really want, the outcome yeah. that I really want. And so, you know, I just encourage all of your, your listeners to do that and they'll spend the time to sit down and, and actually get clear on what you want. And it's not easy to do, man. I'm not, it's, it's a process. And, you know, one of the things I did, I read a book, um, it's called How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton yeah, Christensen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he talks about writing your own eulogy and that was a powerful exercise, right? So you write down, what would you want your kids, your family, you know, your wife, your neighbors to say about your legacy and your impact? It's a great way to really go deep and figure out, you know, what really makes you click and how you define having a life well lived. And I think a lot of that for me comes back to, you know, my my dad um, uh, has Parkinson's disease and he's about nine years into that. And so he's starting to lose a lot of de dexterity and, you know, it's really tough. That's a degenerative and chronic disease. And... You know, that makes me think a lot more about, you know, the end, you know, like my life in general. Totally. And, and my mom, I actually, um, I lost her three years ago. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Completely unexpected. Wow. You know, she, it, it, um, I, I won't go into that whole story, but it, it, completely unexpected. Um, and that really shook me, you know, and, 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 and so a lot of my lifestyle design previously had been more like from my, my mind, more like technical, you know, yeah. and that's some of those experiences that made it more, now more like from the heart, where it's more about mm. impact and, you know, and actually, you know, that's an impact right well, now. Well, like you said, too, memories, experiences, things like that, I'm sure those way more than maybe what they did. And, and I think that one thing that has really been powerful for me is to really commit to, to living my life with no regrets. And, you know, Brandon, I've, I've got plenty of lessons learned, you know, along the way, but I have no regrets, man. Like, you know, I, I want to be able to always say that. And, and for me, a lot of that is always doing bigger, you know, always doing bigger deals and always striving to up level. And, you know, like in real estate, I started out doing townhomes and condos and then it was fourplexes and I bought uh, 27 fourplexes and then it was, okay, uh, 20 plexes and then 60 plex and then 100 whatever, right, up to 400 units. And then it was, okay, what's next? And it was syndicating where we raised capital from other partners to come in and do these big deals. Sure. And then it was like, right, what, what's next? And it was launch a real estate fund. But just that progression of always pushing forward. You know, I think that, and we're, and we're going kind of deep here, but I think at the end of the end of our lives, I think most people look back and they will regret 
not having taken the shot and having taken more risk than they will having even failed at something. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. Totally. And I, I think one thing, if you don't believe that to make you believe it is think back to a sports team or a club or anything you're a part of. If you didn't play as big of a role that you thought you wanted to, or you wish you would have, you regret that. You're like, I wish I would have practiced more so I could have been, had a bigger impact on the team or played a bigger role or whatever. But imagine feeling that for life, right? That, that would be a huge feeling. And so I love your thing of, of no regrets and, and just being intentional. Like what I think you can take from this is Dave broke down 10 aspects of his life that he wants to create. Yours might not be 10. Maybe yours is five. Maybe yours is seven. I don't know. But I think the act is sitting down and creating what you want to create. That's a growth mindset. You have power. You have control. You can create what you want to create. One of those things that you created was 40 by 40, 1,000 by 40. Tell us about that. I'd love to. Um, on the, on the, with, with that comment about writing things down, though, there really is power behind that. I think that you know, if it's in your mind, uh, it's, you know, a goal that's not written down with a dream. And it's really hard to see the incremental improvements that you're making if you don't have it written down where you can actually hold yourself accountable and see those improvements as you go. And so I definitely recommend writing it down. And um, And share it. I know you're 42% more likely to achieve it just by writing it down. And then if you share it with people that are close to you, now you're accountable. Now it's out there in the universe, right? Now you're even more likely. And then revisiting that, whether it's every Sunday or once a month, now you're even more likely to do it. So there's a lot of statistics, the law of Big Mo, playing to your favor with momentum. If you can just do some basic things, write it down, speak it to the universe, tell people close to you, review it. And I think I told people in our organization, everything I've ever written down, every goal, I've hit it. You just give it time and it's crazy. And once you see that, like you have, that makes you a huge believer in the growth mindset because you're like, I can literally create whatever I want to create. It's so powerful. It's It's so powerful. And it's crazy looking back at that, man. And I, uh, you know, a, a quick example of that when I was, you know, 30 years old, I wrote down 25 things I wanted in my dream home and I put it in a spreadsheet and then I, I lost that spreadsheet, you know, fast forward seven years later, we built our dream home and, you know, and, and, and I, and I go, I found that document, that Excel spreadsheet last year wow. for the 25 things and 24 of the 25 things were on there, right? Like no the trampolines, way. the rock wall for That's the kids, so the, the pool, the hot tub. It's like the whole Perfect basketball. Perfect example of this. Yeah, exactly. Your subconscious knew. That's right. And it made it happen. To- hadn't looked at the list you, for seven years. You probably didn't even remember the list when you were building your house, but you are you knew what you were trying to create. Yep. Just a simple example of that, right? Yeah. So, you know, and, and so I think when, when people hear me talk about like writing down, like reverse engineering all these 10 sections of your life, Maybe people are like, well, man, that's too much detail. Like, I'm not that stru- I, That's too much for me, right? Sure. I, I would, or it's too structured. I would just say this: one, once I have all that written down, I'm not going to follow it perfectly. Life's part of the fun in life is 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 being flexible and nimble in your approach. But at least sure. knowing what that end goal looks like, you know. And so I'm actually pretty flexible with you know my day to day. But and then secondly is Jocko Willink, my all time favorite author, you know, came out and spoke to my my leadership team out in California. And, you know, his book is called uh, Discipline Equals Freedom. And I strongly agree with that. You know, if we have 100%. discipline and pr- we prioritize what's really important, you know, family, yeah. business, health, then the rest is really fun because it actually opens up so much more space and freedom to yeah. be doing 
what else we want to be doing in our lives. That's another paradigm shift where people are like, no, I don't want rules. I don't want to play in these parameters. But it's like, that's what allows you to have the freedom in your life. But it's it's totally, like people don't, that's not the normal thought process, right? It's like the, the natural mind, programming. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, I, I don't want all this structure. I want to be able to have yeah. more free, freedom, right? But really, freedom comes through that structure, in my opinion. Yeah. So going back to your question on the 30 by 30, you know, 40 by 40 and uh, 1,000 by 40. So yeah, so when I was um, 30 years old, uh, again, it was on a Sunday. I remember very clearly I sat down for four hours. I was like, okay, I want financial freedom. I've been saying I wanted it for a long time. There's a big, big difference between wanting and being committed to it. Yeah. And so I sat down. I said, okay, I need to have, you know, X amount of passive income coming in every year to cover my family's cost of living, which I define as financial freedom, right? We have enough reoccurring passive income to cover your family's cost of living. And so I just reverse engineered all of that. And I realized I need to have, you know, 40 rental properties by age 40 in order to have enough passive income to pay for my family's cost of living. And so I wrote it all down, um, reverse engineered that, changed all my passwords to 40 by 40, right? Just to internalize that. Sweet. You were and, all in on it. Yeah, and that just, was a 10-year goal at that point, it sounds like. It was, yeah. Okay. Yep. And so um, hit that goal when I was 36 and uh, celebrated for a day. And I was like, okay, what's next? And it was, let's get ownership in a thousand doors by age 40. And same thing, you know, I made a blueprint, reverse engineered the whole process and just went to work on it. And and that's about the time that I ended up retiring from the door-to-door sales uh, okay. space and went full-time into real estate. Um, hit that goal when I was 40 and then it was just, you know, let's Dang, let's keep that's, going. That's crazy what we just, what you just spoke about. So you went from zero to 40, from 30 to 36, six years to get 40 doors. And then you went from 40 doors to a thousand in four years. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a fun ride for sure. You know, and, that's insane. Yeah. It was, you know, and my neck and all that is learning how to, you know, syndicate deals and helping other people come into these deals and whatnot, yeah. because, you know, you are limited with how much you can do, you know, personally, you know, with your personal capital, but learning how to create value for others and, and, uh, it's been really, really incredible. Also, it goes back to that, you know, the whole concept of adding value sure. wherever you can. Totally. And you know, my goal right now is, you know, I want to get 10,000 doors by age 45. So that's okay. kind of the next step there. But, uh, again, it, it, you know, I think the key is just getting intentional. It's not just identifying that number or the doors or the, you know, passive income number, the more purpose and intentionality you can tie to that, then the easier it comes. And I really believe that, man. Like, if you have good intentions, right? Like I want freedom for my family. I want to build up. My daughters have this incredible honeymoons when they get married, right? I want to be snow with my kids when I'm 85, 90 years old, right? Yeah. I, I have a lot of those things to kind of visualize. And I think that the more like, kind of positive vibes or good intentions you can tie to it, yeah. it just comes together a lot, a lot quicker. And it's sure. more fun. Let me ask you this for the real estate people, the one to 40 doors versus the 40 to a thousand, which one was harder? Um, I'm still going to say that first real estate deal. Really? And then like the second one was even, you know, was, it was <laughs> and the, the first fourplex. I'm like, man, this is a, you know, a half million dollar fourplex. Yeah. And that was pretty stressful too. But, uh, you know, at this point it, nowadays it's just numbers. It's yeah. really just so math, sure you know, it's work. just Trust underwriting process. and process. So, you know, and, and the beautiful thing now is I've got this team with Axie partners and, you know, I've always been a solopreneur up until launching Axie partners and, Man, and I was always kind of a, I micromanage sometimes. And I just like to make sure everything's done right. Yeah. And so it was stressful deciding to take on partners and go into a fund structure. But it's been, it's been a beautiful journey, man. And having, you know, 
four or five other partners that are like-minded as a, as a sounding board yeah. has been incredible. And I, I highly recommend it. I think that, you know, going by yourself, you can go fast, but with a team, you can go far. far. Yeah. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Talk to me about, it seems like a lot of people in real estate start out single family and then get into multifamily. And I've even seen this, like I'm selling five of my houses right now because I'm done with single family. Yeah, It's like way too much time and headache. And I'm putting all that same capital into multifamily. Smart man. <laughs> I'll just, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on this just one as on well, one but let's just, I'll keep it to less than a minute. Okay. So okay. Um, I started out doing single family homes, um, then went into fourplexes and, uh, you know, and then I've been multifamily. I think that getting your feet wet in single family home is fine. It's a good intro, maybe. Yeah, it's a good, good intro. Um, I, I, about five years ago, I committed that I will personally never buy a single family home again. The economics just make so much more sense on multifamily. You know, you have multiple streams of income coming in, even on a fourplex, which, by the way, I love the fourplex. Yeah. You know, if, if somebody I, cares about, I care about comes in and says, hey, Dave, how do I get started in real estate? My best answer is probably going to be, you know, either from a biased perspective, come invest with Axie Partners because we're very focused on education and you can be still be passive sure. and have exposure to commercial real estate and apartments, RV parks, and self-storage across the entire country. And so it's a great way to get your feet wet and learn a lot about the process. And I want to interject right there because for me, if I could go back in time, I would have just done it with the fund because time is everything to me. Money's one thing. You can always make more money. You can't make more time. And looking back, I should have just gone with a group that could handle everything. And that's what I'm transitioning into right now. No, it's interesting you say that. And I haven't said this publicly before, but I actually wish the same thing when I was getting started because, you know, I was running all these teams in this leadership position and my time was very valuable. And every, every hour I spent on real estate was taking my eye off of the, you know, the, the price over here. And that was your main income source, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. And I was a leader of men. And so I was able to, I was, I wasn't leading as well as I could have been if I was fully focused on just on, sure. on, on, on that business. Right. That's worth a lot. And so I, I do think that, you know, for guys that are ambitious, that are, have a good earning opportunity or a good, you know, career trajectory and they're excited about it, then you really should take more of a passive approach to it. Right. So investing in syndications, funds, you know, there's a lot of different ways to approach that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's very, very important that a real estate investor getting started makes a clear distinction between being a passive investor or an active investor, because most guys think they're going to be passive, but they end up being end up being you know more involved with you know single screening tenants, homes and, is an active especially investor. single family homes, yeah. right? You got even even if you have a property management company, you're still managing the property management company. And I, I think uh, whether it's on podcasts, whatever, I think people put that in the passive income category or bucket, and it's not. It's active. The property manager can only do so much. If there's a problem with the tenant, they're going to call you and figure out how to handle it. You still have to pay the HOA. You still have to pay the property taxes. It's still you versus a group. And so there's a big difference there. 100% agree with you on that one. So I, I, I think that, you know, the reason why I love multifamily. So, so, so the two things I would say to a new investor would be one is, you know, look at a passive investment like a fund. Two would be to look at the fourplexes. I mean, a fourplex is still considered residential. So, you know, five doors or, or more is commercial. So on a fourplex, you can still get residential financing. If it's your first time, you can only put, you know, even 3.5% down payment on an FHA loan. Um, you have three other sources of income where if one tenant is, one unit's uh, vacant, you still have enough income coming in to cover your debt service. Ideally, you actually live in one of those units, so it's your primary home. 
Yeah. And after two years, you can sell the entire fourplex and all the appreciation is tax-free, not tax-deferred, tax-free. It's incredible. That's a big tip. If, if I could go back to my 20s and we were buying our first house, my first house would have been a fourplex and I would live in one of the units, like no-brainer. That is the smartest way, in my opinion, to approach getting into real estate. Even smarter is that exact same thing, but go into a old, kind of a, a shitty old fourplex, right? Yeah. And then go in and live in one unit, put the sweat equity into improving totally. it. Next time a, unit, a, a tenant moves out, you move into that unit, fix it up. And over the two-year period, you've put sweat equity into improving the entire asset. And then all that uh, appreciation when you sell the asset is tax-free. So, so from a tax perspective, that's it's, a it's an incredible. No like everybody's yeah. just thinking sweat equity, maybe because even if you refied and took all that capital and then bought another fourplex, that's a great move. Yeah. But then you throw on the tax benefit on top of that, you're not going to find vehicles like that that give you that same tax benefit. You're right. And so you know, as for as for why I'm not doing single family homes, I mean, there's a lot of it, right? So it's residential financing, it's the multiple streams of income, you know, property, uh, your ma- your property management is going to be a lot less expensive than what you pay on a single family home. It's the economy of scale, your landscaping, there's insurance, everything because of the scale, you just get a lot better unit economics sure. on there. Um, but at the end of the day, my best advice for most people is just get in the game. I mean, there's so Start many out. people that are just sitting on the sidelines yeah. waiting for, you know, a correction, a recession, everything else. But like I said earlier, you know, I learned the best from participation. So just get in the game and, and get some exposure to it. You're going to yeah. learn so much more by being involved in it. You know, I always say to my kids, there's two types of people in this world. And, you know, there's spectators and there's participants. And fortune favors the bold, you know. So, you know, get, get in the game, get some exposure to it. And uh, for those of you, that, uh, your listeners that do have real estate currently, the market's been so good right now. I would just add one little uh, golden nugget that helped me a ton was to pay attention to your, not just your cash on cash returns, but pay attention to your cash on equity and so cash on equity is your total, you know, cash flow divided by how much money you put in to acquire the property. Mm-hmm. And that should be going up. So it looks good because of inflation and market rents are going up. Appreciation, all that stuff. That's right. But uh, your cash on equity has gone down tremendously because, you know, when you bought the property, your cash on equity was the same as your cash on cash. But as yeah. the market's appreciated and as the monthly principal has been paid down on the mortgage, there's more and more equity in the property. And so your cash on equity is actually going down dramatically, especially in this market. And so, you know, I was lucky enough to understand that concept early on. And mm-hmm. so my first four townhomes that I, I purchased, uh, you know, four years later, they doubled in value. So I was able to do a 1031 exchange into four fourplexes with no extra cash out of pocket because that equity was used as a down payment on the fourplex, right? So I went from four units to 16 units with no cash out of pocket. And then four years later, those fourplexes had almost doubled in value. So now I can take a fourplex and 1031 change into a 20plex or into three new fourplexes in Boise or in Arizona. And so I actually went from my first four doors to 64 doors with no extra cash out of pocket just by paying attention to the cash on equity of the assets. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I think you just got to get in the game. I mean, you did 17 years in the door-to-door space. You just got to get out of the car. You can train on it. You can listen to trainings. You can hear how to do it, but you don't learn until you get out of the car and. Start and that hardest, doors, the right? hardest door is what? That first, first door. <laughs> first door, right? Your first summer, you know, you learn like everything. It's it's just your first. So you just got to get in there and get in the game, and that's that's really when you learn. Talk to us about, you know, single family transition to the multifamily, and then also you got to be thinking about 
How do you have recession-proof investments? Yeah, so so on the recession side of it, you know, we're 12, 13 years into a phenomenal housing market. And Had a great run. A great run. And, you know, it's not a matter of if, but when. It's going to happen, right? Whether that's a correction, a recession, or even just some really choppy waters, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of volatility coming up here pretty quick. Um, you know, I'll keep it high level, but I actually think that, especially here in Utah, we still have a ways to go. I mean, there's such a, a shortage in, in supply right now. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge issue right there. And, you know, Utah has done very, very well. All the economic indicators are very positive for our state specifically. Um, but what, you know, I, th- I think that having gone through COVID, you know, I've been actively divesting out of the stock market over the last few years and telling everybody that, you know, that asked me for, you know, my opinion to do the same thing. And I'm really grateful for having done so because during COVID, you know, I, I slept like a baby with my real estate portfolio, literally no issues, zero. My stock market account, I had some anxiety. I lost sleep over that, even though somehow it still did really well, which yeah. again, to me is it shows that it's disconnected from the fundamentals. Like, like it shouldn't, the stock market shouldn't be doing that well. And so I'm a big advocate of, of real estate. And, you know, I, I've got about 65% of my network now into real estate. I have a very specific asset allocation percentages. Um, well, I shall share real quick. So yes. whatever your net worth is, you know, if you're investable capital, whether that's a hundred grand or hundred million, for me, I just, I, I simply put 1% into cash, 1% into precious metals, gold and silver, um, 5% into cryptocurrency, uh, 5% into hard money loans with flippers, 10% into equities, stock market, 15% into, pri- in, into private equity, 25% into residential real estate, and then 33% into commercial real estate. Okay. And it's not perfect, but it's pretty close to that. And so to me, that's a all-weather portfolio. It's, it's diversified. It, and, and I can't control or predict when the market's going to go up or down or crash. And frankly, I think anybody that says they can, that's a red flag to me. And it's a fool's errand to try to predict what markets are going to do. No, Time the market's yeah. a fool's game. Nobody knows. Yeah. And so what I can control is the buckets of how I invest my capital. And so for me, that's just kind of a you know sleep good at night, all weather, diversified portfolio. Yeah. Um, where I was going with that was, was I'm sorry, I got a little... Well, off. just recession-proof. How do you protect yourself? Yeah. Because you can have different type of investments, but if you hold real estate in the long run, it doesn't matter if the economy goes up or down, people still need to rent, right? Yeah, the key, I want to share two things. Um, The key to getting through a downturn or a recession is really liquidity in real estate. You know, everybody that I know that got really damaged and and hurt was because they couldn't service their debt during those downturns. And so um, to me, what I've done is be very intentional around having multiple backstops, liquidity backstops for my personal portfolio. And this is getting a little personal, but I'll share a few of those real quick. So what I did is I took my entire debt service from my entire real estate portfolio. And then, you know, what's that take for a year to, to pay for my mortgages? Okay. And that's what I hold in my bonds in the stock market because I can liquidate those anytime. And in a downturn, usually bonds historically have been pretty resilient. For right? sure. So that's a great source of liquidity. You know, all my cryptocurrency, I can sell that overnight. And that's a great, you know, it's immediate liquidity in mm-hmm. case of it. You know, I needed that for my, my real estate. Having a home equity line of credit on your home, you have your home to it. paid yeah. off and you have yeah. you know a few million bucks or whatever of access there is huge. Yeah. You know, having one multifamily property paid off with a HELOC on it as well. And so I can access that cash if I needed to. You know, having um, you know, a twelve month emergency fund set up, 
you know, gold and silver, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of different things we can do there, but the key is just having thought through it beforehand. You know, and what I, what I believe in real estate is, is, is really where we get, where things can go really south on us is just when we don't know what we don't know. It's not having thought through what the potential risks are. And if you do that simple exercise, saying, okay, how could things go completely off the rails here? You can actually mitigate probably 90% of those issues up front if you acknowledge what those could be in the future. Does that make sure. sense? Sure. And so, um, and the second thing I was going to say on recession resilience is, is uh, in real estate specifically, is, and actually let me, yeah, I want to share this with you guys because personally, my personal investment thesis has really been about protecting downside risk and and really, you know, planning for, expecting, plan for the worst, but expect the best. You know, Warren Buffett says rule number one in investing is don't lose your principal. Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. And so I learned about myself a long time ago is I actually hate losing more than I love winning, especially in investments. And so my personal investment thesis is really what I carried over into Axie Partners. And so with Axia, all we do is we buy, you know, commercial real estate, it's apartment complexes, uh, RV parks, self-storage, and a little bit of, um, a little bit of retail right now, industrial. Okay. And the reason why I picked those asset types is because apartments are the most recession resilient asset because they are a necessity. It's food and shelter. People have to have homes. Um, you know, self-storage was actually the number one performing asset in the last correction it did it overperformed by two points. It actually wow. did better during the wow. recession. And, you know, RV parks are such a cash cut, a cash cow, especially in COVID. People love experiential travel. You can't even buy an RV right now. It's a 12, six, six to 12 month um, backlog. Any good RV park is completely booked out for the season right now. Wow. And then with, um, uh, and then with the, uh, industrial it's projected to have the best upside in the next five years. And so we took all five, all four of those different asset types and said, okay, how can we de-risk this even further? And that is we wanted to be close to stabilization or, uh, you know, where it's going to be cash flow positive, because if you, if your real estate is cash flow positive, you don't have that risk of not being able to service your debt, which is the biggest risk in owning real estate. And then we also only go into net positive migration states. And this is not a political thing, but we only go into red states and you know, it's where people are moving to right now. So sure. Texas, Florida, the Carolinas, Tennessee, Georgia, Utah, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, my top 10 favorite states right now. And so we actually study the U-Haul data and we see, you know, where people are moving to and migrating to. Like Wayne, Wayne Gretzky says, you know, it's not about being where the puck is, it's about being where the puck's going to be. 100%. So it's a great way to be able to mitigate downside risk. And maybe lastly, I'll share... You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the value-add approach, meaning that we buy an asset that's mismanaged or old or dilapidated, and we go in and we add strategic uh, improvements to the asset to increase NOI, net operating income, and that really helps insulate the asset if there is a big downturn in the market because we've increased and added so much value to the property that we have less downside risk. Yeah. I think it's helpful to also know for people with the Axia Fund, is a lot of times people think, man, I don't have millions of dollars. Like I can't invest in these funds. What does the average investor look like in an average investment? Yeah. So with Axia, you know, we have um, our average investors is is frankly speaking, it's a it's an accredited investor. You know, medium to high net worth individual. Uh, average investment so far has been around you know a hundred to two hundred thousand. I'd say probably an average about one hundred twenty five thousand, and 
you know, it's the individual that really wants to have commercial real estate exposure, but wants to be completely passive in the deal. And so it's truly passive. Literally, once uh, an investor does the due diligence and they send in a wire, there's no further requirement um, besides sending their K-1 to their CPA every year. So completely passive. And uh, But I'd add on to that. I think a lot of the people that have really been attracted to Axie Partners is because of our commitment to what I call experiential investing. And I've never seen another fund do this, but we are committed to creating value through experiential education. And so every month we have a webinar with the top real estate guys in the country coming on, speaking for 45 minutes, followed by 45 minutes of Q&A. You know, every time that we close on a deal, we have a webinar with all of our investors and we open up the curtains and we show them exactly how we do what we do. So we show them why we, how we source the deal, how we source the debt, the underwriting, the entire underwriting model, our value-add business plan, uh, our disposition plans, and so just a full transparency to the investors. And, you know, I think that's been received so well because most people want to be doing these type of deals, right? Yeah. They just maybe lack the, you know, the competence or the confidence to be able to do it on their own. And so it's that whole idea of, you know, instead of giving a man a fish, teach him how to fish. And, and it goes back to creating value, right, for, for our partners. And so... Yeah. If someone wants, if they're interested in the Axie Fund, how did they get in touch with you? Um, yeah, so we, we just launched our second fund uh, a few weeks ago. It's called the Value Development Fund. We're really excited about it. Uh, it's a, a national uh, fund focused on recession-resilient you know, commercial real estate. And uh, our website is axiapartners.com. Okay. Um, you're welcome to reach out to me on social media. Uh, I'm pretty active on there. It's just Dave Allred. I'd say Instagram or LinkedIn, uh, most, most, most common. Uh, yeah. You know, emails, Dave at axiopartners.com. Um, but yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on and we appreciate you for being here. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Appreciate it, man. Okay.